0: episode 107 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 4th of January 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. So here we are, back again already after a week. The eagle-eared of you will notice that we recorded this on the 4th of January because that is the plan going forward. Shamelessly stolen from what Ubuntu Podcast did or do. Who knows if they're coming back? No, no, no. They record every week. All oh, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't record two back-to-back for convenience. Uh, but yes, no. that's what we will be doing from now on. We will be weekly and we will be uh, recording two at a time. So this sort of episode B, the second episode won't be particularly timely with news and stuff. Although I see you've managed to put some KDE Corner stuff in this one because we didn't have time last week. Just a couple of notes. So (laughs) we'll see if we have time for that. But something we've been meaning to talk about for an awfully long time is home monitoring and automation. This is something that all three of you do, and I don't. You have various solutions for monitoring all sorts of stuff around your houses, and I want to hear about it. So who's going to go first? Maybe you will.
1: Yeah, I'll go first. My sort of interest, I suppose, started years ago when um, I wanted to get back into designing my own circuit boards and like building my own um, integrated circuits and was looking for something to build. So... It's, it does seem to be the the naturally nerdy thing to do to find out what the temperature is. Um, and so I set about building a wireless um, temperature sensor just for a bit of fun, really. So I built a few of these things and popped them around the house, and then started gathering the the data from them. And um, then I ended up writing a JavaScript library to plot them onto graphs. And then I migrated that to the Google Charts API. And then kind of it got a bit boring, and I didn't actually do anything with that data. Um, and that's generally been the theme throughout, is that I did I gathered this data with expectations of doing something with it, and then just never really bothered um and then once the raspberry pi came along maybe yeah i don't know i can't remember the exact time but it must have been sometime around the the raspberry pi coming out i decided that what i wanted to do was build my own smart heating controller so that i could turn the heating on and off from my phone and rid myself of the constant struggle of having to change the clock once every six months to make sure that the heating (laughs) turned on at the right time uh, and so I invested a lot of time and energy in, uh, well, first of all, understanding the wiring plan for the the UK setup for boilers and um, thermostats and pumps and valves and all that kind of thing. Learning how that all worked, and then building my own uh, my own version of a heating clock on uh, a Raspberry Pi and. Uh, of four relays and I got that working and it's still working to this day and it is just a, a python script that switches relays on and off but it still works and it meant that I had the equivalent um, nest functionality from my phone uh, I'm gonna guess five five years ago six years ago probably longer than that ago And then I got an Amazon Alexa, so I learned how to write Alexa skills and I enabled the heating. And actually, we prefer now to have the heating voice controlled than we do actually setting the timer. Because if it's a little bit cold, we just call out and um, Alexa turns the heating on. And, you know, half an hour later, the house is nice and toasty.
0: And it's been working absolutely fine. There's two big red flags in there. First of all, you said the the Google Charts API. And then I thought it was all going really well until you started talking about the fucking Alexa. Like, I thought the whole point of this was to not use the cloud stuff.
1: Yeah, but it's just convenient, isn't it? Imagine being able to shout from your bed and have the heating turn on. Yeah, that would be pretty sweet. I appreciate it's kind of niche, but even even my wife really does use it. A a lot more than she would have been bothered to go upstairs to the errand cupboard, open the door, press the button and come back downstairs again. It is convenient and it does genuinely improve our lives just a tiny little bit. It does mean, though, that somebody could come to my house, open my letterbox and turn my heating on by shouting through it. But, you know, (laughs) it's a
2: risk I'm willing to take. Is that sitting on top of anything like Home Assistant, Will?
1: No, I I I checked out like Home Assistant and Node Red years ago, and they just seemed too involved, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with any of this stuff. Um, so it's just a standalone, um, uh, just a standalone system. Although over Christmas I did finally get around to setting up uh, Node Red, and I've started playing with that now, and I see the appeal of it. it. It's powerful and easy to use, so I'm quite well quite excited about what I'll be able to do with it in the future.
3: Did you actually have to wire into mains electricity
0: with your shonky scripting skills? Yes. Yes, I did. Dear God. But you do fancy yourself the amateur Sparky, don't you, sometimes?
1: I do. I, I, I think if I wasn't in computers and that, I would definitely... Choose to either be a plumber or a sparky.
0: Probably a sparky because it's a bit drier. A plumatrician. <laughs> well, what you've done there is the intersection between plumbing and electrics. Because most plumbers don't want to have anything to do with the wiring of heating systems, and most electricians don't either. So, if this computing stuff doesn't work out, maybe this is uh, your niche. Well,
1: well, there we go. The design of the Y-plan wiring setup for the for heating is beautifully elegant and uh, and beautifully safe. Each component within the heating system is connected to the other components in the heating system. And so there are so many sort of fail-safes and so many uh, ways in which the system protects itself. It's actually quite a nice, elegant solution. I don't know when it was invented. I'm guessing probably the 70s or something like that, maybe earlier than that. But it's really a nice piece of engineering. And once you
0: sort of get to grips with it, it's uh, it's quite beautiful. As long as everything's RCD protected and earthed properly, I think you're generally going to be all right. Yeah, yeah. And it is. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> One motorized valve failure later. Boom. So, him, you presumably were disgusted at the idea of using Google and Amazon. I was both disgusted and appalled, especially when it's in <laughs> control of electricity. 220 volts of death is
3: what that is. Just wait till it's like during a leap second and there's an outage at the Google data center and it causes all sorts of catastrophes. <laughs> There was that uh, data center was a Hertzner data center, I think, in Germany. That end up spending about thirty megawatts of electricity because it was uh, it failed over in a leap second or something. So yeah, no, um <laughs> I wouldn't touch anything like that. I have a heat pump that runs my heating system, and the beauty of that is it, it essentially gets turned on when it's cold and stays on for months, and then turns off come spring. I track the temperature on all the pipes, so there's a hot water pipe comes out of that unit, goes into a loop in the tank, heats the radiators, and then comes back. So I measure the difference between those two, and then uh, the electricity of that unit as well. But I've never actually really done anything with it, but I've been hoarding data for a very, very long time with it.
0: And so how are you monitoring it software-wise, then? What are those sensors plugged into? So
3: I have a pie in the, what do you call it? Airing cupboard, or essentially we call it a hot press here, but there's no pressing of metal or any heat. I <laughs> heard okay. that from the pipes that is in there, but it's it's where the, the main uh, hot water storage tank is. And it's a closed loop system for anybody who cares. And uh, it's fed by a header tank in the attic for the cold supply, but it's essentially a large cylinder tank with a, a large loop in it. And it uses one inch uh, diameter hot water pipes. Uh, so a pie sits in that cupboard with all that and it's got probes up to all the uh, pipes and it has a USB receiver for a current cost unit and that clamp goes around my uh, live cable coming in from the electricity supply. So I have a match of what the unit is outputting, the electricity that's getting used and uh, I also have a weather station then out the back garden as well so I can kind of cross reference all those three things. I have not, I have not (laughs) determined any interesting information about these, but I do have a graph that I constantly look at where I would see the current electricity usage last year's last week's and two years ago, just to see kind of a, on a same graph, a current trending analysis to see if we're slightly less
0: terrible at our heat insulation or better. And is that all just chunky Python scripts that you've written then?
3: They are high quality, amazing Python scripts, and they upload to my Python own two. server. Uh, <clears throat> yes, there may be a lot of Python 2, possibly even some Debian 8, I think is the uh, newest Debian that might sit on the, one of the pies, But that all uploads to my server uh, that's actually out in the data center, and I run Graphite on that because... A long, long time ago, I started using Graphite. I just found it to be really reliable and simple and non two fangled timescale DBs like they are these days, but it does the job.
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing enterprise infrastructure, Linode offers simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions that allow you to take your project to the next level. Simplify your cloud infrastructure with Linode's Linux virtual machines and develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and more easily. Linode has 11 global data centers and provides 24-7, 365 human support with no tiers or handoffs regardless of your plan size. In addition to shared and dedicated compute instances, you can use your $100 credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and more. I recently moved our website over to Linode, and it was easy and completely hassle-free. The documentation's excellent, and I'm really impressed with the service. So go to linode.com slash late-night Linux and click on the Create Free Account button to get started. That's linode.com slash late-night Linux. What about you, Graham, then?
2: I think I might have maybe the, mo- the most standard setup. I've got, I've got a bit of a fetish, I suppose, for smart devices, and so I've got quite a lot of them. Whenever I've had to replace a bulb, I've bought like a, a remote control bulb. that I do have like a Hue hub, um, but we mostly don't have Hue bulbs because they're too expensive. But the Hue hub can talk via open wave to lots of different bulbs. Um, I've got pretty much everything I can get connected, connected. So for heating, we do actually have the Nest, um, mainly because we've got underfloor heating here. And it takes hours to heat up to get to any kind of temperature. So the good thing with the Nest is that you can say you want it to be a certain temperature at a certain time. Now, the Nest API was closed a couple of years ago. We talked about it, although I had a developer account, so you could still get to the API calls for the Nest devices, which does have a bit of a security issue. But they've, Google has recently relaunched a new developer initiative to give people access to the APIs, which you can use. Now, the thing that's different with mine is that for years, for three years, I used a home automation system called Demotic running on a Raspberry Pi. I even main- still maintain the snap for that. It's it's a way of bringing in everything. And I've got like the printer connected. I've got a telephone connected. I've got it connected to the weather with scripts telling me when the daylight time is to turn the lights on automatically. It's connected to our doorbell. It's connected to some smart sockets that turn on some other lights. The top floor has electric radiators where I've put in and temperature sensors, which then it gets turned on and I turned on different zones from the home automation software. You kind of link it. So I'm using software to kind of automatically manage these devices. And that's the good thing about using something like Demotic is that you can say these devices are in this room and then you can set up certain conditions that say, look, if you're inside the house and that... forecasters for the temperature to be cold turn the heating on Um, and i've done that i've left these rules running for a long time and they really work well we use heating oil so we're not on the national grid out here in the countryside so i have to monitor how much oil we're burning to uh, heat up the house Um, and that's via an sdr rtl dongle that decodes the signal sent from a watchman oil monitor which sends the uh, sends a um a depth gauge reading basically every <laughs> couple of minutes from the oil tank. And that's just a dongle plunked into the Raspberry Pi and a simple script to turn that into a value that I can then push to Demotich. But I've actually recently switched to Home Assistant. Um, I could give you good advantages on both of them, but the Motich is really, really flexible, but feeling a little bit old. In fact, the app is paid for and... Doesn't work very well. Whereas the home assistant, I think probably because they're trying to sell the software as a service version, which is has.io has a really great open source app. But everything I do with the exception of the API calls, I try and lock into behind the firewall into, into the house. So I also have an Amazon Alexa device, which, which is actually really good fun. But I use a piece of software called HA bridge, which is a Philips Hue bridge emulator running on the pi which allows you to add kind of virtual devices in the home to pretend to be hue devices so that nothing ever gets out to the cloud when you're making calls to turn on a certain light through ha bridge for example but you do need to have a real hue bridge device that that then calls to send the right signal to the device it'd be really interesting to know Will how you set up the, um, the skill because that sounds really interesting because with HA Bridge you don't need to you basically set up a dummy light and treat everything as a light with a, with a colour or a brightness um, which is easy to do but you have to pretend it's a light even if it's a heating element other than that it does get really complicated but I find it it's really interesting when you go out, for example, and I've got the, the oven connected and um, via Home <laughs> Connect, <laughs> Jesus which is a, Christ. You can see if you've left the oven on and yeah, I get a little bit paranoid about it, but you can you can open up the cameras and I've got some motion sensors turning on the lights and the stairs if people who get up in the middle of the night and things like that. Fucking Graham McAllister there. <laughs> well, is your oven actually Wi Fi connected then? Yeah. It's usually got open protocol called Home Connect.
3: Right. Open Inferno.
2: (laughs) So that does have some restrictions that you have to physically turn on the device when you send certain calls to it, or you have to pre-ready it to be turned on if you know that you're going to turn it on remotely. And I actually have done that. It's quite good to preheat the oven if you know you're going to come back and put a lasagna in. Mm. It's a pretty complicated setup, and I found it really good to put it into like a home automation platform like Home Assistant or Demotage.
0: I do hear a lot of good things about Home Assistant mostly from my friend Chris who's just obsessed with it and they shipped hardware with it recently I think it's you know it's a very uh, big deal Home Assistant um but I, I don't does it really do stuff that you can't just
2: script yourself it does it easily it's for the rest of us it's like you can they call them integrations, but if there's an integration, so there's I've got a Logitech Harmony remote, for example. Um Now, on Demotich, you could install the scripts to control the remote, con- which is actually a really great way of getting home automation that doesn't involve the cloud at all. You basically send signals to the Logitech device that pumps out the Bluetooth or the um, infrared signals to whatever your devices are. That takes quite a bit of work on Demotich, or if you do your own scripts, whereas in home assistant you basically add this single integration it detects your device you press a button and you immediately have access to all of the things your remote has already set up to control and it's the same for nest and ring and tp link and hue and all the other things that um, home assistant automatically has integrations for you don't anybody could do it basically
0: and you can completely host that yourself on your lan or your own Linux box or whatever
2: yeah yeah, mine's on a raspberry pi actually that controls my brew pie fridge as well so it doesn't even take up that many resources
0: yeah i did want to talk to you about your brew pie. so you brew beer then and sometimes drink it and that explains some of your uh outbursts. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the raspberry pi have to do with that
2: this is like a whole different thing because you can go really down the rabbit hole with this but the really the the, the big difference between kind of the homebrew that I used to do, which is kind of mediocre quality, and the stuff that I do now, which I'm really pleased with, is the temp- temperature controlling the fermentation stage. So that period of oh, ten days or two weeks or three weeks, where you've put the wort into a barrel and then it turns the, all of the sugars into alcohol, the yeast has to work at a very specific set of, its temperature range, and it doesn't. There any fluctuations in that and fluctuations over the course of the fermentation affects the quality um by adding kind of side effects and other compounds to the beer so if you can control the temperature of the fermentation you immediately create much better quality beer um so but that's not as simple as setting the temperature in in your airing cupboard because it's, there's fluid dynamics at work here, you need a clever algorithm that can see where the temperature is going outside a container and, and and be able to see how responsive the fluid is to temperature changes in your heating elements. So I've got this fermentation bin inside a fridge that has got a simple greenhouse heater that, using the same relays probably that Will used, um, switch on the power for the heating element or switch on the power for the cooling element, depending on the Temperature of the brew, and this is controlled by the brew pyre which has got this clever fluid dynamics algorithm in it to make sure that the temperature stays within, like I don't know, ten percent of one degree centigrade. It's able to do it. Really, really effective, and it allows you to with certain. It's all down to the yeast. So you you often start off with a high temperature, quickly drop it a couple of degrees, and then ramp it up again. It all depends on whether you're doing lager or ale or, you know, kind of a, a Belgian beer. Um, but it allows you to have this incredible granularity and then save if you really like the result then you save the output and you can generate exactly the same beer again.
0: And what's the software running on that then? BrewPi, is that something you can just download?
2: Yeah, it was in the first issue of Linux Voice actually I wrote um, an article on how to build the whole thing and run BrewPi. BrewPi was... um, a kind of a DIY kit you could build and put it all together. They then made it kind of more commercial and closed um, and then sell their own kits that aren't based on the Raspberry Pi and aren't DIY. So you can still run the legacy BrewPi code, which works fine. But the BrewPi logic has been migrated to another project called Fermentrack, which is open source, runs on a Raspberry Pi, controls the temperature of the fermentation, but it can also control the things, um, valves, and moving the beer from one container to the next, and also pressurized vessels. It can monitor the pressure of vessels that you're brewing in, which becomes like the next stage. After you've mastered fermentation, what you then need to do is master the um, the oxygen-free transfer to a a vessel under pressure.
0: (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog the performance monitoring and analytics solution for real-time visibility into a Linux environment. Combining metrics, traces and logs in one unified platform allows you to get a bird's eye view of your entire infrastructure. You can also see any underutilized cloud or on-premises servers via the real-time auto-generated host map. Datadog's machine learning-based alerts eliminate false positives and make sure that you only receive alerts on issues that matter. You can automatically detect unanticipated outliers, anomalies, and errors with Watchdog, the auto-detection engine that surfaces performance problems in your applications without any manual setup or configuration. Start your free Datadog trial today by visiting datadog.com/late-night-linux. Start your free trial, create one dashboard, and you'll get a free Datadog t-shirt. That's datadog.com/late-night-linux. So will you relatively recently, although it's actually been a while now, started working for Influx Data. So we've got a caveat with that. But you told us a few months ago that you switched your sort of back-end DB to Influx DB, and it was very easy and made life easier and better.
1: Yeah. So like, like I said, I'd, I'd built all of this, um, I say all of this, I'd built some very shonkily scraped together visualizations around the Google Charts API and a MySQL database And that was fine, but it was just such a pain in the ass when I wanted to add something new or draw a new new type of graph or, or whatever it was I wanted to do. And so, yeah, as part of my onboarding exercise, I was asked to write data into InfluxDB, into our cloud product, our SaaS product. And I had all of this data on my local network, all of my sensor data, and I thought I would send that up to InfluxDB. So I quite easily added the InfluxDB Um, well, rather the the Telegraph package, which is part of InfluxDB, but is also its own standalone open source project. Um, I integrated that into my MQTT setup so that all of my sensors that are sending this MQTT data was picked up by Telegraph, transformed in the right manner to change the data types from, you know, ints into floats or whatever it needed to be, or rather strings into floats, push that up into InfluxDB, and then I was able to use the Influx db um ui that's in the cloud product to build dashboards and i was able to reproduce a dashboard that had taken me probably a week to create in InfluxDB's ui in literally 10 minutes and i was like oh okay i get it now this is really a useful time-saving product and uh yeah i was very happy to be associated with it
3: Where's the misery, though? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it turns out I didn't like the misery. Wow. Sickening, really. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though, because when you said that you were joining Influx Data, I I looked into the DB, and I just, I don't know. It was just a bit beyond my simple little brain, really, like this time-based DB and stuff. Like, Have you got a basic explanation for it? So imagine
1: that you're... Tr- you're monitoring something which changes very rapidly. So, for example, a turbine spinning at many thousands of revolutions a second. So this thing is generating a lot of data, a constant stream of data. And, you know, something like MySQL is just not the place to do that. Where MySQL is a traditional relational database, it's not really geared up for querying to specific time ranges and it's not geared up for dealing with sort of that linear progression of data whereas influxdb is built around that time being the the critical index and everything revolves around that so if you're doing anything where the most important thing is when that thing happened and the secondary most important thing is what the value was at that point in time then things like influxdb are really a lot faster for querying that specific data. And so wherever you want uh, a graph of values over time, so for example, temperature during the day, as the day progresses, what the temperature was at particular times, then InfluxDB is is designed specifically to make the query of that particular data very, very fast. And because that's the nature of the the database, that's the, the way the UI tools have been designed, is to build graphs for data which changes as time moves which is just perfect for the sorts of things that i was monitoring the data that was coming in was a, a temperature reading every couple of minutes or whatever and so creating a graph of temperature over time was the work of about two mouse clicks and okay and it was done for me um, and then it was on a, a nice grid layout and i could resize the size of the boxes drag them to where i wanted them and just
0: easy That sounds interesting. Have the other two of you ever tried InfluxDB then?
3: No, I use Graphite with uh, its Whisper file format in the background because it's on my own system. And then I'd use Grafana, which an awful lot of tools would use as a front
2: end to that to uh, allow the sort of graph creation and things like that. Yeah no I haven't the um the data logging and the motage is actually very very good. Um so I haven't needed any more than that. You can see f- quickly for example what your fuel usage was for this exact time last year and that kind of thing. I can picture that thing that dips yeah in to measure that
3: fuel as being a robotic arm off a mannequin <laughs> that comes out with a camera on the end of it. And I'm really sorry if it isn't it makes me very sad to think it
2: might not be. I think it's Sonic. It's it's like a ping or something like that.
3: Sonic the
0: Hedgehog in your oil tank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I'm convinced. I think it would help if I had uh, a flat that was bigger than a box to monitor, because I just need one temperature sensor, really. Um, but yeah, I can see it if you uh, have a bit more space and, you know, different rooms, and especially that brew pie stuff, that sounds... Uh, pretty interesting because it's what's always put me off brewing my own cider is i know it'll be shit but if you can control all the elements of it then that's pretty cool so yeah should give it a go but yeah if uh, you dear listener have uh, any experience with this stuff or any thoughts or like me think that uh, trusting amazon in all of this is a terrible idea then let us know late slash contact Quick bit of admin then. Thank you everyone who is supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It really is appreciated, especially now that we've gone weekly. If you want to join the people who are already supporting us, then latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 a month, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. So that's uh, about four-ish episodes a month now instead of just two. So it's even better value. And like I said, latenightlinux.com slash contact if you want to get in touch with us. And tell someone about the show. That's a great way to help us out. If there's someone who you think might be interested, then send them a link or just tell them to search for us in their podcast app or whatever. really helps us out. And I haven't forgotten about the next community mumble get-together. Probably talk about that on the next episode, when the date for that's going to be, probably towards the end of the month. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Learned. Sign up at automation.link and use the code LatenightLinux to upgrade and get 50% off a year's subscription to a new DevOps training site called Learned. The site covers the entire DevOps stack, starting with the basics of infrastructure as code and includes almost eight hours of lessons on Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, and loads of industry tips along the way. If you're interested in learning DevOps, take advantage of this offer by visiting automation.link, an upgrade with 50% off with the code Late Night Linux. That's automation.link and the code Late Night Linux. Okay, a very quick KD corner before we get out of here then.
3: Yeah, um, so Graham's prediction of last year about Matrix, well, there is a very cool way to try it out, and that's a very nice new uh, chat application called NeoChat for Matrix. Uh, it's a nice, albeit maybe slightly beta uh, client. And um, it's a progressive sort of, well, not, it's a progressive desktop app. So it changes as it grows. So it can be used on the phone and on the desktop. Mm. And it's not a horrible Electron app. So um,
0: I would say give that a try, but don't expect it to be completely perfect yet. Okay. And KDE apps in the Windows Store.
3: Yeah, just uh, sort of the annual go-over of everything bar Creta, which I'd love to have the stats on Krita, uh, but there's no way the, to find that's them That's the out. main one. I know, I know. It, it does annoy me, but uh, there's a breakdown in the last 30 days and the overall statistics with Kate coming out at 75,000 roughly um, and Ocler at 69,000 and the, the rest are a bit less. Uh, just, I think it's quite interesting, especially if some of those apps would have been seen as sort of like second-rate citizens. I think that's a fair, decent number for a other OS running natively. So, um, yeah, I, I keep meaning to, but I keep forgetting to ring uh, to email the creative developers and ask them if they'd give us some updates because it's been a while since. But, yeah, worth
0: a shot. And Nate did a highlights from 2020 post. He did, yeah, and really... You should wander through them. It's a very quick overview. Some great stuff in there.
3: Uh my my top take this year, I think, was uh annotations and uh the spectacle, the uh <laughs> desktop snapshot app, because I hate having to reopen CRETA, finally because I can't use it. So uh <laughs> circling things with a red marker, job done. So uh happy days there. And um the last one then was he also wrote a Way to sort of analyze the community, how to make projects better. He has a term, the geeks, mops, and sociopaths. And I think it's worth a, the worth a read. Um, some interesting points to be taken from it, but, I,
0: you know, another perspective on how to run a community well. Cool. Well, links in the show notes for all of that. So we'll be back next week then. It feels weird to say it, but uh, until then, I've been Joe.
2: I've been Faye. I've been Graham.
0: And I've been Will. See you later.